Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Okay, so uh, the children are already out, as uh, we've been doing the last several weeks, and they will be, uh, you can pick them up right here afterward in early childhood or downstairs in their rooms. I want to welcome you to our service today. If you're visiting with us, again, special welcome to you. And uh, you'll notice the globe up here that wasn't here before. Uh, what well, was it here last week? Oh, okay. Sorry, I wasn't here last week. Um, <laughs> but you will notice it's not turning anymore, right? Because in the sanctuary, we have a little motor up there that turns it. And the trustees said, we're going to put a motor up there? I said, no, it's okay. We'll just make it work. Um, I think uh, Greg Bowers, you're probably happiest to stare in Australia at you right in the face the whole, whole morning here. If we all blow real hard, maybe it'll turn, you know, and then we can it'll start get a little momentum going. So missions conference is coming up. And we're looking forward to it. And we have uh, two more homes, two more families that need a host home. The Padayags with two children and Sykes. Uh, that's the, uh, uh, the young couple from uh, Puerto Rico. They're going to be serving with us. And so uh, if you could help with that, please see my wife, Teresa. And also we have two more meals on Tuesday night that you could host a missionary family. Maybe invite somebody over if you'd like. So she's taking the science for that. So between now and the next couple of weeks, we need to get that uh, taken care of. Okay? So that's the plans for missions conference. And also for our prayer today, uh, we should mention that um, uh, Bob uh, Junell, uh, as many of you know, had surgery. He's down in Texas because uh, somebody in his family, Lurcy's family, was a real a specialist in this unusual skin cancer he had. Uh, it's not melanoma, it's a different kind, and this happened to somebody that was connected to her family, was, was a real specialist. He went down there, he's had the surgery, he's doing good, and he'll be back uh, toward the end of the month. And so I know he'd continue to pray for Bob, and I'd really appreciate that. Last night, as Kevin mentioned, uh, Ken Hansen was called home to be with the Lord, and I got a call from Tammy and went out there to the hospital with them. I've, I've enjoyed uh, getting to know Ken as they started coming to our church a few years back, and uh, I've had a chance to go visit him in the uh, group home where he's been living, the adult family care home. Uh, before he was there, he would you know, come to church every so often in his little stroller, uh, electric uh, cart thing. And uh, just, you know, I get to know, he's one of those guys you get to know, even though I really didn't know him until the last years, you right away realize that this was really a servant of the Lord. A wonderful guy. I uh, just enjoyed my visits with him. And I know the family would appreciate your prayers. And we'll let you know about a service will be here uh, for Ken as well. When I was putting the announcement for the uh, prayer line last night, writing his name out, as always, I had to ask my wife, is it E-N or O-N, right? Hansen. And uh, because uh, growing, having grown up where I have in Seattle, not too far from Ballard, although I'm not really from Ballard, I'm from Greenwood, okay? Or now we say Finney Ridge. Sounds much better. And uh, uh, I, and of course, where our church originally came from, uh, in the Ballard area, uh, I've grown up with lots of sons and sons, right? Andersons, Johnsons, Hansons, Nelsons, Johandesons. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, Olafsons in Minneapolis. And so 
a lot of uh, sends and sons. Some of my very good friends. My best friend, Teresa, is a Hansen, right? Uh, E-N, Hansen. And uh, you probably, you know, realize that where that came from, right? At one point, somewhere along the line, somebody was named after their father, uh, John's son of Hans, and uh, Hans' son, right? And that's the background. I, some of you that do genealogy, I know, know a lot more about this, and you can help me understand, because I often wonder, well, if that's the case, then when the next person's born, like, okay, Teresa's family, her grandfather Bob, Hansen, uh, his oldest son was Trainer Hansen, so should he have been a Bob Hansen Hansen, right? Bob, son of, you know, how that goes. And by the time we get down to T, we'd have T, son of Hansen, 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 right? Um, but evidently, at some point, they didn't use last names. And in, in the Scandinavian tradition, that was determined you need to have a, a family name. So they took that name. And uh, somewhere along the line, it was son of Hans. Hansen, E-N-4-O-N. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, you have a, a similar thing. How many of you ever heard the word bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, right? Bar mitzvah, when a 13-year-old boy becomes a man. Bat mitzvah, when a 12-year-old girl becomes a woman. And they go through a theological training. They have a ceremony in the synagogue. I've been to one of my cousin's uh, bar mitzvahs some years ago. It's a big deal. And they read uh, from the Hebrew scrolls, and they have a big celebration. Bar is the same in the Aramaic as Ben in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew, Ben or Bar generally means son, son of. Uh, uh, Bar Abbas, Bar Jesus, you see those names. Uh, Ben Ami, Benjamin, son of my right hand. And so uh, Bar Mitzvah is uh, son of commandment. Bat mitzah is daughter of commandment, meaning they have studied the commandments and they now have come to that place where they are a son of the Jewish commandment. And so we see that in the Old Testament. So before we open our Bibles this morning, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to uh, serve you. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and to share it together. Bless your word to our hearts today in Christ's name. Amen. Can you hear me okay? Good. Well, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Acts chapter 4. Now, I know that uh, we are studying the life of David in Sunday school. I encourage you to join us. For Sunday school, we have classes for adults, youth, and children. The teaching begins right at 9.30. Then we have our peer group and sharing time afterward. So please come on time and join us for Sunday school. And... Uh, we are studying the life of David and we are connecting our thoughts during the morning service during the next several weeks with that study from the life of David. So we're actually going to do that in the book of Acts today for the, for the first part here. And in Acts chapter 4, as this early Christian church at Jerusalem, the early Jewish church in Jerusalem was getting going and being founded and was growing rapidly, and uh, we read here, that uh, with this section from 32 to 35 is how they pooled everything together and shared all their resources to help one another. There was excitement. They were getting ready for what they thought would be the return of the Lord to come and set up the long-anticipated Messianic kingdom. Chapter 3, Peter just offered this to them and said, Repent, be baptized, uh, turn to the Lord. He will send him back, and you will see the times of refreshing, which they all knew was the anticipated coming kingdom. 
There was a lot of excitement getting ready for this. And during that time, it says in verse 36, Joseph, I want you to remember, that's his name, Joseph, very common Old Testament name, Joseph. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. Remember, he was a Hellenistic Jew. He was, he was raised in, like Saul of Tarsus in that, Christian, or in that Jewish culture that was influenced by the Greek culture off the island, in the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, whom the apostles called Barnabas or Barnabas. We say Barnabas. But if you take that first thing, Bar, son, Nabus, Nabas, which means, it says in the IV here, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. So this man, his real really name was Joseph. The apostles renamed him. The apostles renamed him, and they said, we're going to call you son of encouragement. Now, we read Barnabas, but every time they read it or heard it, they were saying, we're going to call you son of encouragement, son of encouragement, son of encouragement, son of hands, son of nails, right? It's an identifier, son of. And they renamed him for their purposes, Bar-Nabas, son of encouragement. I wonder what there was about this man. What, for you to, to give somebody a name, a new name, a nickname or a name that you want to connect with them with that has to do with their characteristics or something about that person that would cause you to do that. There was something about Joseph that caused these people to say, you know what, we want to rename him. We're going to call him Son of Encouragement. He was a man, obviously, who was known for his ability to encourage other people, so much so that they changed his name. In the, in the apostle circle, in the leadership. And so when we, we'll follow this a little bit, and let's go to Acts chapter 11. We read from Acts this morning for our, our Bible reading as we worship together. And in Acts chapter 11, and we, we are at the, we, we've had the conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And then we've had this, this amazing story in, in chapter 10 of Peter going to Cornelius's house and a Gentile coming to faith in Christ, which was radical. In fact, remember this is the story when, when God said in a dream, Peter, you need to go to you need to go to this uh, Simon the Tanner's house. You need to go there. And, and Peter says, no, I'm not going there. Why? He was unclean. He was a Gentile. Not only that, well, not only was his house unclean, a tanner's house was really unclean. It was outside the city because of the work they were in. I mean, you know, I have leather shoes. You got leather, a lot of you, the leather Bible. We love leather products, but the process of turning animal skin into leather is really stinky. And, uh, and, and, and so they had to live outside the city. They were, they were unclean. Peter says, no, I'm not going there. God says, no, you go there. If I say it's clean, it's clean. And we have this radical story of Gentile conversion uh, with Peter and the story of Peter and Cornelius. And it's after this chapter, or after this part of the story in chapter 12, where, uh, uh, chapter 11, excuse me, in chapter 11 where this continues, and we have in verse 19, you'll notice maybe in your Bible, you might notice a heading that says, the church at Antioch. 
Now those who had been scattered, verse 19, by the persecution in connection with Stephen, which Saul of Tarsus was, was the main persecutor. Remember in that story in chapter 9. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Antioch is north in Syria. It's to the north up of, of Palestine, not over by the coast of Lebanon, but inland, uh, Syria of Antioch, and, they, and, and Antioch of Syria. They go up there, and they told the message only to Jews. This was a Jewish thing, right? I mean, this was a, an extension of the Jewish hope of their Messiah. It says they only talked to the Jews. But while they were there, some of them, however, men from Cyprus, right, where Joseph Bar Nabas is from, and Cyrene, they went to Antioch, and they began to speak to the Greeks, the Hellenists. And in this particular case, the word used here really seems to indicate not just Hellenistic Jews, as we see also in Acts, but actual non-Jewish Greeks. These people dared to take this message, which so far they've only been telling Jews about, they dared to tell non-Jews about it. And they told them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And look at the response. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So you've got this huge outbreak, this uh, bursting of conversion up in Antioch of non-Jews to this message of hope in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, who has risen from the dead. And God is blessing it. In verse 22, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And what did they do? They heard this message. They said, listen, something's happening. You guys better do something. This wasn't the plan, but the Gentiles are coming to faith. Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. And it says, look what it says here. They sent Bar-Nabas, son of encouragement, to Antioch. Of all the people, I mean, the apostles, right? The apostles. They picked Barnabas, Joseph, the Levite from Cyprus. They picked Joseph to be the one to go to Antioch because he was an encourager. And they said, Joseph, you need to go up there. You need to go up there and and, and encourage what's happening. And, and, And we trust you and we want you to go up and you can bring back a report. You go up there. And they sent Barnabas, son of encouragement, to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad, and notice it says, he what? He encouraged them. It's interesting, the root word here is the same root that's used for his name. The son of encouragement went there and he encouraged them. What does the word encourage mean? I mean, think about the meaning of it. The, the, main, the main word is what? Courage. To give courage in. Do you ever need Courage. Any of you ever needed courage in your life? Maybe like yesterday, <laughs> maybe this morning, maybe today. God needs to, in, we need to be encouraged. And, and people come alongside and, and, and encourage us. And Joseph went up there, the son of encouragement, and he did what, he's, what he always does. He encouraged them. And he encouraged them. Notice what, they, what he was encouraging them to. To remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I mean, this... this you know, it's so hard for I wish sometime that we could somehow enter into this world. That we could enter into this context where you have these, these Gentiles. These, these, many of them may have been those who were attending synagogue. You know, we see that next, don't we? We see 
we see God-fearers. They are not converted, because then they would be Jews, but they are, they, are, they are attracted to Judaism. Judaism was attractive. It had a high moral culture in a pagan world where the, where the morals were as low as you can imagine when it came to so many areas of life. And they were attracted to this. And the monotheism, it was the only religion that practiced that there was only one true God. In this world of idols and, and cults of idols and sacrifices, and they were attracted to the synagogue. And then their families and others, and these people came to Christ, and they came from this, this complete pagan background. And all of a sudden they're mixing, and they have Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and, and they're being, I'm sure they're being ostracized. I'm sure they're being challenged. I'm sure they're being made fun of. And, and Barnabas comes up there to encourage them. Listen, stay true. God's called you. He's chosen you. He's called you. responded, stay true to the faith. Stay true to the faith. Stay with it. And that was, the, that was the focus of his encouragement. His encouragement was not just um, to go up there and find strength, inner peace, and strengthen yourself and all that kind of stuff, right? He encourages them in the Lord. Stay true. Look to the Lord for your strength. Now, Luke here gives us, inspired by the Spirit, his take on Barnabas. Now, Luke became part of the traveling group with the Apostle Paul, so he began to know the stories of these people and so forth. And he, he gives us his uh, editorial interpretation, if you will, but it's inspired by God because it's in the Scripture. And he says this, Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. This church is exploding these believers are coming. And the, this group is growing. In, in their, in, in the, I mean, think of what. They, have, they don't have the Scriptures. They have the Old Testament. They have, I mean, it's so vulnerable. And, 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 and such like a, like a tender shoot, you know. I mean, it could die. It could wither. It's, but it's growing. God is blessing it. And so what does he do? Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him... He brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christ ones, Christians, for the first time at Antioch. This man, who's the son of encouragement, had enough understanding, enough guidance by God. Say, what what are we going to do? I'm going to go get Saul of Tarsus. Of all people. This man who was a person, I mean, the, the word spread to Antioch because of the persecution that was really because of Saul, who was a ringleader. But he's been converted. Now we have the story in Galatians where he goes away to, to Arabia. Now, and we, that's another study we looked at last year on the context of that. But he comes back and, 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 and he goes and he gets them. He goes to Tarsus and he says, Saul, you're the person I need. Why? Because Saul was the one when he was converted who was called by God to go to the Gentile world. In in chapter 9, in chapter 9 and in verse 26, after Saul was converted, Saul went to Jerusalem. I mean, he's converted and we have the chronology, but he ends up trying to go to Jerusalem. And it says when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. 
But they were all afraid of him, and rightly so. I mean, you know, let's be honest. This is the guy who was killing Christians. He was the ringleader. They were afraid of him, and they didn't believe he was really a disciple. But Barnabas, son of encouragement, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. It was Barnabas who at a critical time in Saul's life, when he was, he was converted, he was called by God, he was given this commission to go to the Gentile world, right? And he, and he goes down to Jerusalem excited to share, and they say, no, 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 we, this, is not, this is too much. And Barnabas is the one who comes alongside and says, no, let me tell you what's happening. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage Saul. And it's because of Barnabas, really, because of God using Barnabas, that Saul ended up beginning his ministry there and doing what he did in Jerusalem. And so it's natural when we have this story in Antioch that he goes and says, I'm going to get Saul. He was the one called to the Gentile world. I'm going to get him and bring him to Antioch. And he and I are going to work together. And they founded and established that church at Antioch missions conference Antioch becomes the sending church for the ministry of Paul and Barnabas chapter 13 and verse 1 in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon called Niger Lucius of Cyrene Menahem who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul they're worshiping and fasting. The Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called. And after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them. They sent them off, and the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And Barnabas and Saul become traveling partners. You notice it's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas is, is, is better known in the apostolic or the, the disciples' community of the apostles. And they become traveling partners as they head off to do their work. Son of encouragement. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Must I and Barnabas alone be the ones who suffer the way we do for the Lord? They were two together. Now we know what happened later on after the Jerusalem council. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were going to set out on their second journey. And, in, and Barnabas wants to bring his cousin, John Mark, uh, who wrote you know, the Gospel of Mark, of course. And Paul says, no, he deserted us on the first trip. We're not going to take them. And they had a strong disagreement. And he and Mark, Barnabas and Mark, went back to Cyprus in one direction. Paul and Silas head off on their mission journey. But that was reconciled. Because at the very end of Paul's life, this very last epistle in Second Timothy, the, the one person he wants with him is John Mark. And John Mark also ministered with Peter. And so that was reconciled. Maybe it was Barnabas's, maybe it was his, his bent toward encouragement that said, no, we can take John Mark. Let's give him a second chance, huh? Maybe that's what really caused him to want to do that. But they did separate over that. And then later on, there was a confrontation in Galatians with Barnabas. But this Barnabas becomes the son of encouragement. Now, all that to say, I told you that we are studying David. And in Sunday school this morning, if you're in Sunday school class this morning, you had quite a section of 1 Samuel that you studied of the life of David. It was a very difficult time in his life. It was a time where David was on the run. 
was a time where he had to depend on the Lord. Saul, the king of Israel, was chasing him. Saul tried to, tried to kill him, tried to throw a spear, pin him against the wall, right in his own room. Saul, had to, he, was, he was on the run. He was a fugitive. He even ended up with the Philistines and, and offered to fight with them. He was so desperate. We have the story you read of, of Saul in a cave. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine how, how David and his 300 men could hide in a cave, right? You think, how could you do that? How could you hide that many people in a cave? Well, our second trip to Israel, not this one, but the last one, we went to what's called the Bell Caves. Remember, Alan Carroll went to the Bell Caves? And we went in those caves, and they're shaped like a bell, and they're huge. Some of them are almost as high as this room. I mean, they are huge caves. And you could easily have 300 men back in that bell cave over here while he goes out to where Saul is over here. You really get a feel for how that was possible. It was during this time. There was one man. There was one man who during this difficult time was closer to David than anybody. It was the one person who David desperately needed. Who was that? Jonathan. I know you looked at this this morning, but let me just, let's just go back for a second to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And David and Jonathan became brothers. Jonathan is the son of Saul, which in a monarchy means what? He is what? Huh? He's the next king. I mean, he's the next king. There's no question. He is the next king. But God is called David. David is going to be the next king. And, you, you know, you read the history of monarchies, and one of the worst things to be would have been, would have been a king. I mean, even in king, European kings in England and so on, read their stories. I mean, you're always watching your back, right? Because there's somebody who wants to take you. There's, there's a stepbrother out there who wants your job or sister. And, but, but, so, but Jonathan, he was such a unique man. He was so sensitive to what God's will was and so humble that he insisted even to his dad David is going to be the next king not me and they became brothers and there came that day where where they set up this meeting where they would find out if David could go back home to be with with the family back with with Saul and the family in Jerusalem or not in Jerusalem but back where they were their their court was set up and they had that scene where they shot the arrow, you remember, and they and they went out and they went past and so forth, and it was the indication that you, you can't come home. My father's going to kill you. My father is going to kill you, David. And they come to that scene, and they, and they come together, and after they had set this up, in verse 20, 41 of Chapter 20, after the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone, bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. They kissed each other. They wept together. But David wept the most. This was the one man in his life who he could depend on, who understood, and who supported him the way he did as the son of Saul. It was amazing. And Jonathan said, go in peace. We have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And they left and they parted ways. Well, as you read this morning in class, the story goes on that Saul continues to persecute David. 
He hounds him. I've been to the area three times. The area of Judean wilderness. It is, it, it's, it's dry. And it's harsh. And it's not the place you would want to be on the run from somebody else from an army. Twice David could kill Saul and he, and he refuses to do it. Even though his commander Joab says, David, I'll do it for you. You don't have to even lift a hand. But he, he won't do it. And in the midst of this, when it's getting very, very desperate, and you read some of David's psalms he writes from this time period, I want you to look at chapter 23. Chapter 23, and it's very brief. David is in the desert, in verse 14, in the strongholds and hills of the desert of Ziph. It's, it's a desert area. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but searched for him with his army. But God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that in his, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David privately, I'm sure secretly. He went to David at Horish, and I want you to notice this, and he helped him find strength in God. And the Hebrew word there is the word for encouraged. He encouraged him in God. Jonathan is a Barnabas. He is a son of encouragement. He is the one person at this desperate time in David's life that he, and, and he has no jealousy. He has no rivalry. He, has, he is giving up everything that he could have as the next king of Israel because he knows God has called David. And he wants David to find strength in God. And he helps him. And notice what he says, My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and they left once again. The next time David hears about Jonathan is at the very end where he is killed in battle with his father Saul. And in chapter 1 of Second Samuel, David in his song says this. David's eulogy, verse 23, chapter 1. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and gracious, and in death, they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O oh, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear for me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of woman. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war have perished. I'm sure that was the hardest loss in David's life was Jonathan. Because Jonathan was a son of encouragement. And he encouraged David in the Lord. And you can read about this in the Psalms. You read Psalm 18 where David writes, there's a heading that tells us, David wrote this while he was on the run from Saul. And he talks about finding strength in God. God, you are my strength and my fortress. So in closing, let me say this. Romans chapter 12, 
and in verse 8. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8, we have a, we looked at this thing when Gary was preaching a few weeks ago, we looked at this passage of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 6 of Romans 12, Paul says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If your spiritual gift is encouraging, let him encourage. God has gifted in his church individuals with the gift of encouragement. Some of you have that gift of encouragement. We all are called to be encouragers. It's something we should do. It's something we should think about. It's something that we should follow. And we are blessed to have those, and I can tell you in this congregation, some of those here who have the gift of encouragement. I, not just for me, but I watch you encourage others. I mean, I watch it. I see it. I see you encourage people in the Lord to bring them courage when they need it. Courage when you're, when you're beaten down, when it's hard, and you just need someone to come alongside and say, look to the Lord, friend. Of course you know that, but to come alongside. If that's your gift, we really need you to use it. We need you to encourage. And we need all of us to be people who are willing to bring courage to other people. If there's someone in your life right now that you're aware of, think about it. Is there somebody in your life that God has brought into your path that you know just needs some encouragement right now? Do it. Just do it. Write him a note. Call him up. Pray for him. Let's be a Barnabas. Barnabas. Son of encouragement. Who is it in your life? Right now, there's somebody that you can encourage. As Jonathan did to David. As Barnabas did to Saul. And to the church in Antioch and allow God to move and to use you. Amen? Now, my sermon is over, and I know it's time to go. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> you remember what Wilson said? The pastor looks at his watch, what's it mean? Nothing. Okay, all right. Okay, uh, I just want to talk to you just for a minute. Um, you know where building over here, right? Your building, as you go out today, you can see the new entrance is out, pushed out. And uh, you're welcome to walk through these doors here if you like. You're welcome if you haven't done so. I know a lot of you have. And you look down here, you can see the new stairway going down partway. We've got to finish it, so don't try and use it. That's why the boards are up. And you can look this way, and you can see what's happening down this way, how the narthex is opening up into our common area and our new narthex area. You, you can't really visualize yet the new bathrooms and so on. They're going to be all handicapped, accessible, and uh, it's a big project. And, you know, this is a result of, oh, two and a half years ago, coming up on three, the Elder Board met for a planning session, a retreat-type thing. And that also began looking to the future of our church and over the last two and a half years. We presented this plan to you, and during this time, 
Uh, we have talked about many things, what our church is going to look like in the future, what our staffing situation, what our needs are going to be. And so over the past year especially, um, I have been in discussion with the elder board about, uh, because we've had these discussions, about when it would be a good time uh, to begin the process for Brian to look for my replacement as the senior pastor. And uh, someone to assume the role, looking down the road, uh, to serve as your senior pastor. I'll be 66 in a couple months, and um, we're in the middle of this project. I know it, I know it seems kind of odd to talk about this now because we're in the middle of a big project, but we anticipate this being done, Lord willing, by the first of the year. And, uh, and your gifts have been so appreciated. We continue to encourage you to do that to help us toward that project. So that is going to be finished. And I also know that for a church like ours to uh, begin this process of looking for a new senior pastor can take time. It takes time. I mean, there are many steps from start to finish that, that take place. That You know our elder board and our church, and we are not going to do anything rash, quickly, without prayer and thinking. It's going to be careful and... Uh, so it just we felt this would be a good time, even though we're in the middle of this project, to let you know we would like to begin that process. And we would like you to pray about it. And Kyle is going to come up to close the service in this morning after we have our final song and to share uh, maybe uh, just a few things with you. But I want to be the one to tell you. I don't want to have a formal letter read and so on. I've just got some talking points here. Uh, it's going to be a careful, prayerful process. My desire is that during this transition that it be a healthy time for the church and for the new pastor, the new senior pastor. I am going to continue to serve as your full-time senior pastor until a new pastor has been called and accepted the position. Okay? Uh, you're paying me. I'm going to earn my money. <laughs> okay? I'm going to serve you. And uh, I'm not going to be a lame duck leader or pastor. We are going to move ahead. We've got a lot of exciting things happening happening. We've got a great future ahead of us. We always have to think in terms of best years are ahead of us, not behind us. This is God's work. This is no person's work. It's God's work. So I'm going to continue to serve exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to continue to do and we'll continue to do this, but we are going to begin this process and I will be available also to help uh, with congregational care during the transition, whatever God leads there. Um, a lot of things, of course, We'll know more as it, as it happens. And so uh, we just cover your prayers for the Lord's guidance as he leads a new pastor eventually uh, to this role at Berea. Uh, this fall will mark the 40th anniversary for Teresa and I of serving in the local church ministry. We actually began this journey the year I took off when I was a junior in college and we took off and interned for a year and Dick Ely left, and so I took on the full-time youth work for about uh, five months, right? Almost lost Mark Lowen then. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> yeah. That was another story, okay? <laughs> A swimming trip uh, down by uh, Spirit Lake. And uh, I was serving as full-time youth pastor then. And uh, so that was really my taste of that. But after that, we finished college. I came back to SPU, did my graduate work there. And then... Uh, I was called to Bethesda Church in Minneapolis for five year, over five years as Christian head pastor. And then in 1984, believe it or not, this 
January of 84, that would be uh, that many years ago, uh, we came back here to serve as CE pastor until 1993 when I assumed the role of your senior pastor. We've been privileged to serve and blessed to serve in our home church these past 35 years. Raise our family here, our children, and now see our grandchildren as part of this church family and serving in this church family. Uh, Breen will always be our church home, and we look forward to our continued fellowship and participation with you according to his plans. But naturally, my role as senior pastor uh, will eventually change in the Lord's timing, and your support, encouragement, and partnership in the ministry has always blessed both Teresa and me. We know you'll do the same for all the staff, the ministerial staff here. So, I wanted to be the one to tell you. And uh, ask your prayers, and uh, thank you for the privilege of serving you. I love this work. I've been more blessed than any person deserves in three lifetimes uh, serving the Lord. And I'm going to be looking for what the Lord has for me to serve and uh, continue to do so. But uh, God bless you. And thank you for your encouragement and support. And let's move ahead. The best years are always ahead of us, not behind us. Amen? Amen. Let's close and have our final song. Is this on? Nope. All right. Go ahead and have a seat. I had a lot of notes, but uh, in sake of time, we won't do that. So... um, I turned and looked as Pastor Jimmy made that announcement, and I agree with many of you. Man, we're not ready for that yet. We're not ready for that. But God feels, uh, has led them that, that now's the time. Uh, he's still going to be doing ministry. He's just not going to be serving as far as the senior pastor here at Brian. Uh, but God's going to have other plans. And uh, we just love this man, this couple. Uh, if I was to write in the dictionary the definition of a pastor's wife, there would be a picture of Teresa. That's, yes, yeah, yeah. So, so very thankful for this, this wonderful family. But you heard Pastor Jim say, this is their home church. They're not going anywhere. Uh, and I'm ex- the elders are really excited that he's going to keep serving as senior pastor until we find the man that God's calling to be here, which we're excited about too. Um, so we have the elders of our forming a search committee. Uh, Sherwood Sage is going to be the chairman of that committee. Uh, some of the elders already know about it, but some of the members of the congregation are going to be invited to serve on that committee, and we're going to be very diligent. It's going to take time. Just like Pastor Jim said, it's going to take time. But we know God's man is out there that, and that family that's going to be coming to serve here. Um, let me encourage you to attend our congregational meeting next Sunday. It will be at 6 o'clock. And you don't need to be a member. Just If you love Berean Bible Church, please come. And if you have any questions at that time, uh, we would love to answer them. So let's go ahead and let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for this day. Lord, we just thank you so much for Pastor Jim and Teresa and the ministry that they've done for over 35 years. Lord, you have blessed us immensely. They've been such an encouragement to us. 
they've touched our family's lives so many times, so many different ways, and we're just so thankful for that. We continue to pray for them as they uh, go in a different direction in their ministry, whatever that will be. And, uh, Lord, we just love this family. We're thankful that uh, their children and their grandchildren are here and serving and, and just fellowshipping with us. So, Lord, we just uh, so thankful for the church remodel and how well that's going. We're just thankful for uh, what a blessing that's going to be for in the future to be able to uh, reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we just pray that uh, we'll have a good week. We'll just serve you in Christ's name. Amen.